welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have one of the wittiest, smartest people that I've interviewed on this show. That might be a low bar, I'm not sure. But I want to bring on my brother who is an author. I take my coffee black, Tyler Merritt. How are you, man? Man, I'm good, bro. I'm, I'm so glad to talk to you. We have so many mutual friends, man. It's about time. I mean, I, we got to do this in person sooner or later. I actually want to move my show to being across from each other so we can drink beer and have fellowship and be able to get down uh, together. Look, we start my show the same way each episode, which means we, we try to get our guests to walk us through the arc of their career. So you're a comedian, an actor, and an activist. Talk us through the arc of your career from your first gigs after you finished college, the work you do now with the Tyler Merritt Project. Man, long story short, I've always been that kid, man, that, um wanted to do something bigger. I was just watching this video, this viral video of this kid dancing at a new new edition concert. I don't know if you've seen this, but I'll send it to you. It's like this little kid who is like dancing to If It Isn't Love. And I remember being like eight, man, just wanting to do something more. And between uh, starting out rapping as a kid to kind of like survive in the ghettos of Las Vegas <laughs> to discovering musical theater on accident uh, to starting a rock band again on accident, which brought me to Nashville, Tennessee, um, working as a youth minister, um, doing stand-up, putting all those things together and building a community of proximity of so many different types of people. Um, when it came time to talk about real issues that people needed to hear about, like Black people dying and what it's like to be a Black person in America, I had suddenly built this this core of experience to make something special, which birthed into the Tyler Merritt Project, which combines all of those things together, man. So let's talk about your new book. I Take My Coffee Black, Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America. Uh, yes, sir. Un unpack the title for me, because that title is of epic proportions. Why did you choose it? Man, in the book we cover, listen, I didn't want to write another how to be an anti-racist only because people that are writing those books are so good at it, right? But what I'm good at is bringing- You're being, you're being generous. I, I'm just saying, I'm, when you take really big subjects and try to humanize them, that's what I do. Um, in my video, Before You Call the Cops, all those things, I take big, big subjects and humanize them. So in this book, through talking about hip hop, talking about my love of, Miss Saigon, the musical, and also Hamilton, but also how I love Jay-Z and Tupac. And also how in high school, I, I'm, I met Jesus. And oftentimes when that happens with people, you're, it's, you, know, you hear these books, especially for men that are like, I came to God and my life became brilliant. In my book, I'm like, I came to God and all of a sudden I was like jacked up a little bit. Like I went from like having sex and with ever not feeling any kind of guilt to like coming to meet this Jesus guy and then suddenly being like, oh, like I'm, I'm supposed, there's things I'm not supposed to do. And people were telling me you can't listen to, you know, non-Christian music anymore. So I was in high school listening to like Sandy Patty, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, so whoa, I tell whoa, all whoa. those stories and I'm get, back Let me ask you, a, let me ask you a personal question. Yeah. When did you get saved? When I was 17, well, really more like 16-ish. Um, my, my mom, kind of forced me to go to a summer camp and I ended up going because she told me there were going to be girls there 
And I went like ready to Mac, like to just, you know, it was like shooting fish in a barrel because it was mostly just like geeky white kids at this church camp. And I rolled in like, yo, we're the honeys. <laughs> and for real, like day one, man, like God got a hold of me in that singular experience, that singular experience, bro, like shifted the entirety of my life, but not in the way that, you know, I got a lot of bad theology up front. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. and I mean, we're, we, let me tell you something. For I have a theory that for every shot we get of good theology, like literal liquor shot of good theology, right? we probably get a keg of bad theology. 100%. And, and I'm also learning too, and I talk about this in the book, that you only begin to map that theology out by actually living it out. And I lived it out by making a lot of mistakes and hurting people. Well, I'm going off script girls. right now because I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by your journey. Cause I'm, I, I, you know, I jokingly say he ain't done with me yet, but do you like when you, when you are getting filled with the scripture, do you like the teaching pastor or do you like the hooping pastor or do you like the music? What, 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 what gets you the most? Cause what I don't like is the prosperity pastor. That's not my, that's not my thing. I like to go in and learn something. Um, so tell me, tell me what, what do you get the most of and what keeps you Sometimes the church can be a little outdated, but what keeps you there? Bro, real talk, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I love Jesus, man, but most of the time I can't stand his followers. And that's just like, <laughs> that's the truth. Like 98% of the time when someone's like, I'm, I love Jesus, I'm like, this is going to be a problem. You know? Um, Did you see the video of them singing the gospel music on the plane? Oh, God, the bro. With the, with the acoustic guitar? Bro. But listen, I listen, hear me, dog, hear me, Bakari. I, as a youth, as a youth, right? Like when you were a, a kid and you were like, the only way, the only way people know how to survive is through this Jesus that I know of. And you're on a plane. You think you're doing mission work, man. Like I looked at those kids and just wanted to, and just hung my head, man. Like they're going to look back in this in 20 years and be like, I was that dude on that plane. Yeah. But to answer your question, this is how I feel about pastoral leadership. I walk a fine line, man, because I want my pastor to be broken just enough that he can keep it real, but not so broken that he ruins his church. Well, you don't want any parishioners pregnant by the pastor. But 100%, 100%, 100%. But but if he partied a little too hard the night before, I'm cool with that. I'm like, cool with that. Okay. We on this, I mean, uh, you know. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let me ask you this. Let's get back to your book because we can have this conversation about religion all day because I am religion by far at 37 years old is the most intriguing thing. I had a friend that died when I was 13. So I always thought it was hard for me to get back to where I needed to be. And still, I have more questions than answers, as you probably should. But why did you choose this project? Who is your audience? And what do you want people to take away from this project? On the low, I really wrote it for Black people. Um, and I don't think that's on the low. I hear you, but okay. <laughs> but the reason why I say on the low, man, is because white people are, 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 are love this book because it falls into the line of, of so many things that they feel like they're getting taught and learning and this and that. But I wrote it, my dedication starts off by saying, we are not monolithic. This was for all of us that in showing all of our beautiful colors, speaking about us as black people, because in this book, when I have, I, I was on this black, all black book club, virtual book club, all black people. And they were all like, bro, thank you for writing a book that doesn't talk about how we have to be one way, that we are just one thing, that we can be multiple things in different ways. And when black people read this, I feel like they scream from their souls like, amen. Like I, I don't just have to listen to NWA. I can also know a Bon Jovi song and still be okay. Right. Or I can, if somebody calls me Muslim, I can take that with a, with a, with a joy of being like, call me I, the best people in my life. I know are Muslim, but just because I have dreadlocks and I don't eat meat, which I don't, and I don't drink, um, you know, doesn't mean I'm one way. And so I, I really wrote it for my brothers and sisters that are a what lot are your What are your vices? Um, man, real talk. My vices are naps, bro. I will take a nap, bro. I will take a nap, like in the middle of this podcast, I will take a nap. But, but I was going to say, the, the book ends up speaking to the world, man. And um, Jimmy Kimmel wrote the forward for it, which I love. I mean, how did you pull that off? Because he showed um, my viral video before he called the cops on his show. And then um, we reached out to each other. And I just said, we kind of changed the world to, tonight. Because it was shortly after George Floyd where he showed my video and said, I can't speak on behalf of the world, but here are my thoughts like Jimmy does, whether it's talking about health insurance or, you know, and said, here are my thoughts. And here's this young man, Tyler Merritt, who is expressing how he feels. Mm -hmm. And as we kind of bonded together on that, um, I started writing a book. And after chapter one, I sent it to him because I had like a small reader group. You know how we do in Red Books. Oh, yeah, for sure. I sent him chapter one and he said, um, yo, man, let me write the forward. And I was like, you don't even know what the rest of the book's going to be like. But by the time we got to the end, he wanted to even more so. But with that, man, we have the response to the book has been so great, man. It, it's, it's, it's impactful and it's actually, it's, it's just not words out in the universe. And, and when I talk, man, this is like, I'm, I'm keeping it 100 with you. We all want to be successful, but man, this book for me is not about selling a million copies. This book is about getting as many hands as possible because it's one of those things where I believe the words, yeah, the I words it, mean I, something. When those uh, when them checks start rolling in every, because people don't know on books you only get paid twice a year. But hey, when them when look, the checks, 
don't act like you don't know New York Times bestselling author of a kid's book. Which no, my kids and, and an adult book, two time, two time New York. I, no, I know, man. I'm just trying to save some for the rest of us, bro. <laughs> two time New York. Let me ask you this though. One of the things that I learned about writing books, that's a beautiful segue, is that it also changes you, the author. So how did this project change your thinking at all about the work that you do? What did you learn about yourself when you were writing this book? As you know, man, when you have to dig deep and relive stories or retell stories, especially if you're trying to be real in your material, because you know as well as I do, there are a lot of books that are out there that are just, especially men, men like to write books that are, that, that are like, you can be like me and be better. Just do these 10 steps. Um, this book wasn't that. For me, it was, I'm going to let you walk with me through my victories and through my losses. Yep. You got to be honest and with folks. People want honesty, man. They want honesty. And when you walk through those things, I had to live through it twice because I wrote the book and then I did the audio book. Hmm. And man, I was, in, I was in the booth almost in tears in certain chapters, you know? Um, I, 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 think cried during, I cried during my, um, this, the chapter on my wife and you people, people were like, man, I could hear it. I was like, I know you could. One, I thought I had COVID because my throat hurt. <laughs> and I, two, I forgot how to read because the words <laughs> right on pages, like people, you don't, you don't say those words out loud. So you're just stuttering. Right. And then three, I got so emotional. That that reading your book is like, it's a special process, man. And I wrote, I wrote my book like an audiobook. So the probably the one of the biggest reviews are is people say that it feels like I'm just sitting down in front of you and we're having a cup of coffee. So the audiobook feels that way too. It feels like um I'm just sitting discussing with you some of the things I've been through. And you know, man, when you get real and write a book that touches into real things, you can't help but to be taken there. Especially if you're talking about brokenness, especially if you're talking about the death of black people, especially so, if you're talking about the love talk of your about mother. Let's, let's talk about it real quick. So let's talk about anti-lynching and the reconstruction period you tackle in the book. What, why do you, what do you think most Americans miss about this particular period of, and I'm gonna be very specific in my language, I wrote this down, white racial violence in American history. And how did it differ from any other period in American history? I talk, listen, when my white friends and people who are influenced by my book try to ask me what is the, one of the number one things that um, they can do to step into social justice and this, that, and the other. One of the first things I say to them, Bakari, is that they need to start believing black people and believing their stories. Like just believe black people. And I think one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to that specific time period is just like the, the um, the game used to play kids as we were kids like telephone right where you have one person that tells a story and it continues to go on and go on and by the time it gets to the end it sounds like something else when something was so very specific so very um harsh where white kids would watch children would watch these lynchings and then have postcards of the pictures of these individuals who were lynched and these postcards were sold that would um that would harden the hearts of white people to, to murder of black folks. When you take something like that over years and years and years and years and years of trying to tell people about the reality of that, and now in a culture where people don't even wanna believe that what happened to us as we, were, we got pulled over last week, they don't wanna believe the history of, of what actually happened. I think that, that watering out of a reality that was an actual thing that we have receipts for. Um, that when we come down to talking about the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill, people are like, oh, well, I can't believe, I can't believe that's just 
coming around as if we're talking about like we can now sell alcohol on Sundays. You know what I'm saying? Like and the fact we just got it. <laughs> bro. We, and, and I feel like as black people, some of us are like, what do you, okay. I mean, but what do you say to people who say there's not a need for that? What do I say to, to white people? Is that what you're <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, to them, to those white folk who say there's not a need for the Emmett Till anti-lynching First of all, there are three individuals who voted against it. I just don't understand how you look into your child's eyes and say, I voted against an anti-lynching bill. And really that's that's just my 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 whole take. Like how do you how how do you tell this to your children that you you stood on the wrong side of history, a piece of history that shouldn't even exist anymore and you stood there. And if you do not think that there is not a need for this bill and and listen, because of the work that I do, I have everybody come at me. There are people that come at me and go, there isn't any lynching anymore or we, we haven't talked, this is just a thing that, that Democrats are trying to do to win over black people because no one has been lynched since blah, blah, blah. The truth of the matter is the last documented lynching was in 1981 in Mobile, Alabama. That was the last documented lynching and that was in 1981. But let's keep it real. George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, those were actual in our face, real time on video lynchings of our lifetime. So I, I tell you, Ahmaud Aubrey was a good old fashioned South Georgia father son lynching. That's what it was. That was about as close as you could come to like something out of a movie, man. Out of a movie. So when I when I hear people say we don't need it, I, I really feel this way, and I mean this respectfully. Like I want to say, you need more black people in your life. You need more bro- proximity, and not just the S and K cafeteria. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Look, last couple of questions for you. You also incorporate comedy into your work. How do you strike that balance between comedy and the seriousness of the work that you do? I think if any, and I don't have to explain this to you, but if you ever put two black men, especially in a high pressure situation, you're they, we we are gonna cr- crack jokes. I guarantee that you, you have, have a thre- I guarantee that you have a thread in your phone right now with some of your black friends that if you showed anybody, you'd get canceled. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, I, I listen, can't say facts because I'd be hacked, but you, I do you understand and, what you're saying. You and I both are friends with Van Lathan. We'll put it that way. Okay. Hey, <laughs> hey. So if you have ever been in a situation where you were talking about real things, the humor is natural. And in my case, um, writing humor, writing out humor came natural to me. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things I love the most about this book is that people are like, I laughed my way through some of the most horrible things I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, welcome to the way that black people try to get through life every single day. And I tell this man, I, hear me, bro. I tell people, I'm like, um, there's that scene in the Avengers where in the most needed moment, they need the Incredible Hulk. Um, and they go to him and they're like, yo, we need the green guy right now. And he looks back at him and he goes, well, see, that's the secret. I'm always angry. And I feel that way as a black man in America. Like I'm, I'm on my Bruce Banner crap, bro. Like I'm always angry, but I survive here before I have to hold with my humor, with my joking, with my laughter so that we can get through, through this in a way that has productivity and hope. You also sound like James Baldwin who articulated that extremely well about our experience. How can people bottle buy the book and follow you on social media? Um, you can just go to the tylermerrittproject.com, find the book there, Amazon, anywhere you can get a book, you can find it. I just put in, I take my coffee black. And on social media, you can follow me at, at the Tyler Merritt Project, um, Twitter at TTM Project, Facebook, the Tyler Merritt I'm easy to find. Just, just put in beautiful black man, look past Bakari, and then you'll see me on the next image. No, 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 right now it's like three or four of those British actors, Idris, the other young Idris, yeah, man, we don't. What's the other young you, man? At least this is, it's, it's at least some of us dark folks, man. I'm tired of all these Drakes running things, man. Oh, it's all it's you. Time. Any other projects you are able to talk about and uh, what should we be on the lookout for? Because one of the things I, I learned about, you know, interviewing people of your echelon is that I asked this question, what do you have up next? And they're like, oh, I can't talk about it. So is there anything you can talk about? There are, a, there is one very specific thing I can't talk about. See, that's um, what I'm <laughs> you guys you are the shady y'all are the shadiest people on earth <laughs> shady and then the next thing you know we're like look at this broadway show that we just released right um man i have my first kids book coming out man it's called a door made for me it comes out september 14th and i i need to i need to hook up with you on how to put a kids book out in the world because you've had a lot of success with yours so um yeah it's beautiful man no you mean you just have to kids books are hard 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 anyway tyler Merritt, thank you so much for joining the bakari sellers podcast this was more than a blessing i appreciate you and i appreciate i take my coffee black it was a when i get these books it's it's always cool to read people other people's writings but for you like i told you this was an interview i truly look forward to because of your wit and i think we went somewhere on religion and hopefully we'll help somebody come closer to jesus man go ahead preach bro Hey, I appreciate yeah, I'm gonna take you. About all Please subscribe, donate, cash app. <laughs> all right, my brother, I'm out, man. Right on, appreciate you, bro. Don't tell you, this gonna be your